0: Welcome to You Are Loved, a podcast with open conversations about healing after suicide and suicide prevention. Join me as we discuss how you can heal after losing a loved one to suicide. Discover how others found hope again in their moments of darkness and how you can truly scatter hope to those who need it most of all. When you do, you can save their life. I'm your host, Crystal Partney. I am a best-selling author, speaker, and suicide grief coach. Together, we can heal. Remember, you are loved. Welcome everyone. My guest today is Dr. Sawyer. Christine, if you don't mind, I call you Christine. We we have known each other for, for a little while and I will just kind of turn the microphone back over to you virtually. And if you don't mind introducing yourself, that would be great. And we'll take the conversation from there.
1: Hi, Crystal. It's wonderful to be with you together and on a wonderful podcast, you are loved. Oh my God, we all want to be loved, don't we? Uh, So I'm Dr. Christine Zauer. I'm a medical doctor and a naturopath, which I've been told is rare in North America. I don't know why it doesn't make sense to be rare, but it is. (laughs) Uh, And I love what I call to do holistic mental health. I call it mental health in five dimensions. That's my specialty, although I'm trained as a family doctor, dermatologist, allergist in Germany, I've worked in many capacities, and I love working with complicated and complex cases, people that don't get better with conventional therapy, so that's the ones that I love the most. So my own story, of course, has to do with mental health, and I know... Uh, It's okay if I get into it a little bit. Yes, please. I grew up in a typical middle-class German family with parents that expected me to excel. And I was fortunate to be able to fulfill their expectations. So what happened is when I was about 12, 13, I was watching TV with the family. We watched a very sad movie. And an aunt of mine started to cry. And I laughed. And she looked at me and said why are you laughing that's a sad movie and at that point it hit me and i said to myself why was i laughing i didn't tell nobody but i realized at that moment that i had no feeling i had learned to put a smile on my face to please my parents but i had no idea who really was me so i started journaling great practice recommended to anybody young or old start journaling so i started journaling and i found out a few things about myself looking back i still have journals a whole book and at some point i published them because they're funny a 12 year old journal what did i talk about of course i only got a b minus in that class how disappointing come on it's ridiculous when you But hey, at 12, it matters, I get it. So I grew up and at 14, I was no further in my self discovery, but I discovered that I was deeply unhappy. And I started to research suicide and how could I kill myself? And I found out there's really no good way for a 14 year old to kill themselves because I didn't have access to the drugs that I already knew I needed to be successful and I didn't want to do it half-heartedly and I didn't want to jump off a building or something like that because hey, I was a little (laughs) squeamish, isn't that funny? Well, it is not, but it uh, seems looking back from my now 61 years of life and uh, in that position, it was certainly not funny. So of course I couldn't tell my parents, we didn't talk about any of that. So I just struggled on and I actually tried to find out if I could get to a psychologist without telling my parents was possible. So I struggled on, I went to university to medical school. And I actually got into counseling there. And the first time I got a counselor, it was so disappointing that it was the last time I went to counseling because it was a student counselor and his method of counseling was to not say anything. And I couldn't talk at that point. I had written everything down, but I needed encouragement, and he wouldn't give it to me. So I said nothing. to sat there for an hour, not talking. Can you imagine? Oh my goodness! <laughs> it was the worst experience of a long time. So, what did I do? I struggled on, finished medical school, and eventually get married, had children and it went up and down and up and down. And I went through bouts of depression. Um, I, I understood that uh, it wasn't optimal, but I didn't know what to do about it. So then at some point, uh, my ex-husband committed suicide and left me with two teenage boys while we are still in the immigration process to come into Canada. So I finished and came to Canada as a fresh widow to teenage boys. I felt miserable myself. I had chronic back pain, had to give up my own practice, and uh, knew nobody in the new place where Mm -hmm. we were living. So I was really at the bottom, and I didn't know what to do. So I got in my van one day and went off to kill myself. And gladly, a small inner voice woke up at that point in my belly, bells, And it told me, you really don't wanna die, you need help. So I managed to drive myself to the nearest emergency room and then at the fortune that I saw a resident that committed me to the mental hospital. So I was four weeks here in the local mental hospital. It was about 25 years ago. And I learned, for one, that I wasn't the only one struggling. Other ones to two. And second, I also saw people that were much worse off. And I, of course, was pumped full with medications and then transitioned, that was a good one, into a six-feet-day hospital program, which was excellent, but it kept me existing, as I say, existing but not thriving. So I struggled for a few more years, uh, met my now husband, a sweetheart. And uh, at some point, I said to myself, this is not the life that I want to live. So I made the decision for change. And I said, I know so much. Why don't I do what I know? That's the thing many people struggle with. We know what to do, so why don't we do it?
0: (laughs) That's That's the the question of the day, right? We know what to do, and yet there's this disconnect between actually doing it right at least Absolutely. that's how it seems
1: <laughs> i actually discovered a very good book with that exact topic by a phd nick hall a neuropsychologist it's funny and it's good i can highly recommend it
0: oh i'll check it out
1: <laughs> <laughs> i have it as the audiobook i laughed all the way around because it's so right what he says most of it i, I agree with most hey you don't have to agree with everything to like something that's true <laughs> and so i started to work on myself and apply all I knew to myself and, and started with a supplement regimen that gave me the energy to actually change my thought patterns, start exercise, and do other changes that I needed. And then slowly, after I felt good, and I think that's very important, after I felt good, I started to slowly reduce my psychiatric medications. I know that some people don't wanna take them and they just take them off, bad mistake it leaves you with serious withdrawal you feel worse than before. So the right sequence is first get yourself to a point where you feel good and then you can reduce them and deal with whatever withdrawal is left and rediscover your emotions that they're covered up by those medications because that's what they do. So now I'm drug free for many years, four or five or so, and I'm happy and healthier than ever my back pain is also resolved. I did Tai Chi. Yes, I have sometimes a little back pain. Who doesn't? But not serious. I don't have to take morphine, cold. I take nothing. But my supplement right? And now I said, I have to pay it forward. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm coaching people and helping them to overcome their struggles with chronic mental health issues, with uh, looming mental health issues. If they want to overcome them, if they want to recover from them, if they want to slowly discontinue the medication in a reasonable way, I am here to support them.
0: That is so wonderful. I applaud you for for taking a stand and saying, you know, I am worth being well, and this doesn't have to last forever that this is just I liken it to seasons this is just a season where like you said I'm I'm on this medication I don't want to be on this medication forever let's find ways how I can you know taper as I get well
1: yeah and I, I wasn't feeling really well while I was just getting medication and most of my clients that get conventional therapy which is medication and ideally psychotherapy if they can afford it and get it and it is good which is the second thing that not everybody has and they still they don't have a full life they're just existing they think they're doing well But really, do they? When you look at them, they're just sitting there. They're watching TV all day. They're watching Netflix. They really don't live their passion, purpose. They have no really meaningful fulfilled life. I think that's an important part of a good life, is to have meaning. Because I'm getting older. So when we get older, we think about, well, maybe we'll die. Well, we'll die for sure. (laughs) But when death comes closer, and I've I've worked with dying patients, and many of them have the regret that they didn't live a full life. And I sometimes ask myself, why are people so afraid of dying? And my solution, my answer to that question is, because they didn't live before death. If you're wow, not, that's if powerful. you're not living a full life, you don't want to die. But if you live every moment, every daily sparkle, as I say, to your benefit, the benefit of those you love, and ideally the world around you, it doesn't matter if you die in 10 seconds or 10 years, because you've lived life to the fullest while you had it.
0: Christine, I just want to camp at what you were saying earlier when you discovered that you were literally going in the act to take your life. And you said, "It's I don't want to die. I just need help. Right. I don't want to necessarily go back to that moment because I know that how traumatic that could be. But could we go back to that decision that you said? I'm sure that was just so eye-opening for you.
1: Absolutely, because that was the first time that little inner voice woke up. And yes, we can go back to that moment. I went there often and often. I'm not afraid of it. We don't have to be afraid to revisit painful moments in our life. Then we have learned to not experience the pain anymore, but just go back and say, okay, that was a bad moment in my life. But it's no longer. My life is good now. And many people with PTSD, they have flashbacks because they never learned to deal with the emotion that's still stuck in their brain you can get rid of that and just calm your brain and tell the brain okay it was an unfortunate event it wasn't pleasant but it doesn't have to affect your future anymore so in that little moment i think that was a very important moment because i said to myself hey what is that i really have that feeling if i just hit that bridge pillar which i was steering on it's not the right thing to do, and that that was a pivotal uh, moment in my life. And I'm glad I made the decision to actually go for help. It was the first time I really got some kind of good help.
0: And you mentioned during our interview together on a on my summit that you said that was really hard for you because here you are a doctor. Uh-huh. Seeking help from other physicians and how you really had to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but set your pride aside and say, okay, I need the help. And that is more important than any sort of title that I have.
1: I think that's the main reason I waited so long because, you know, physician here, thyself. Mm. What nonsense. Uh, And yes, uh, to be an inpatient in a mental hospital is one of the most humiliating things that can happen to somebody. Using washrooms with no locks, and being watched all times of day and night, not being able to just go and have something to eat whenever you want because the kitchen is locked up and mm, you can't go out when you want because the doors are locked, Uh, no fun.
0: How did you manage to process that and work through it and find ultimately find hope again?
1: You know, I think it's it's it, it's a good question, really, because to really grow as a person, you have to realize that at the bottom we are all the same, whether we are physicians, teachers, high up in the hawks, politicians. Uh, even if people that think they're better than everybody else and the bottom, and my dear husband puts it very clearly, he says we all eat the same, we all shit the same That's <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> He is a very smart man He can't read or write, he's a very smart man So I learned never to judge others and that was very important when I Walk those hallways, you know, in the mental hospital, you have nothing to do. So you walk the hallways, and then there's one window to look out. So we all congregated there, looked out. And I was just one of the others. And there were schizophrenic people and some that were heavily sedated. They're all humans. And I learned that even people that come back and back to a mental hospital, they are humans. And I respect everybody the same, whatever history. Whatever provenance, whatever does not matter. I think that's an important learning we all have to do at some point. And if you don't, if you can humble them yourself to that point, how can you rebuild a very good self-esteem? I know who I am now more than I ever did, and I respect others much more than I did before that.
0: Right. It really, like you said, humbles you and you are able to understand that I've really, really can relate to you in that regard because that was one thing that I learned pretty quickly when my sister passed away, that it was, I could see myself in her story. Yes, she was my sister, but I could still see how our lives were so much interwoven and how they were so much more alike. Mm. Yes, we were sisters, but it's a deeper level, I, I like to think. And like you were saying that you, we are so much more connected as human beings than we will ever be different.
1: Absolutely, and you know, I always say there's so much more to life than what we generally know, and uh, people have to be a little more humble about when they do all that fancy stuff now that they do tinkering with life. I'm very skeptical about what they do in the name of science. I think those scientists sometimes should step back and say, really are we to tinker with life itself i think that can be very dangerous
0: could you give us an example of what you what you're referring to i just want to clarify
1: but sometimes when they do genetic sciences and tinker with the genome and they tinker with brain science and they influence the brain in different ways and I know they now have advanced techniques that they can read brain wave and influence other people's brain waves and yes it can be beneficial but it also can be used greatly and I think we should be very careful the same when they produce robots that can think artificial intelligence I know Isaac Asimov, I am a scientific reader. I read growing up, uh, scientific, uh, science fiction novels all the time growing up. Isaac Asimov, I Robot, the three robotic laws. Why do our intelligent robots not have those laws built in? Them? That would be so important in my books.
0: Yeah, oh my goodness, this is great. Um, I just wanted to, you know, circle back to when you were saying earlier about getting well and finding that space and that place where you felt like, okay, I feel well enough to maybe focus on some of these other things. Like you mentioned, tapering off the medication. Do you mind going just a little bit deeper on that?
1: Um, I can, of course. Uh, what exactly do you want to know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, that's a it's a broad question. <laughs> I
1: can talk for hours and hours, but <laughs> I don't think that our time allows for that.
0: <laughs> right, I, I know I most, know you could. <laughs> I think let's most, let's talk. The most
1: important thing for everybody to realize. It. The way out of mental illness is not to suddenly stop medications if you don't like their effects, which most people, by the way, don't. It helps a few people enough, but most don't. The way to go is first help yourself so you are reasonably well, and then slowly taper off and make sure you stay well, because otherwise you're in great danger of falling back or worse.
0: when you say reasonably well i guess that's what i was getting at with my question earlier was when you say un- when you say well is there sort of like this pattern that we should be aware of or maybe our thought process is shifted a little bit can you unpack that just a little bit further i just wanted to clarify that for people listening
1: I think feeling well is, of course, a very subjective thing. And there's actually a measure quality of life index that I measure for my clients that measures uh, actually a number, gives it a number. But you can, most people that have mental health issues know when they don't feel reasonably well. Reasonably well is what in psychiatry they still think is recovery, which it doesn't mean but it means that you are existing, that you don't want to kill yourself right now, that you don't want to kill somebody else right now, and that you are not totally addicted to impulses that hurt your brain and hurt everyone around you, and and are not uh, subject to angry outbursts or the opposite. And I think that is important that you are at a reasonably stable, you could say you're stable. I call it existing. But ideally in my books, humans wanna thrive. They want to lead a happy, reasonably happy, meaningful, purposeful life.
0: Let's unpack thriving. How did you discover that you were meant to thrive?
1: By not being content. With existing, by realizing that from from reading literature, from reading philosophers, from reading ancient literature, that people years ago struggled with this. Not as common as we do, but they did. There was a dark night of the soul. And with the help of others, they got over it and afterwards led a better life than ever. And sometimes I think people like, um, uh, what's that, Uh, Van Gogh. He is known to be what we now probably would call bipolar. Now, if he had been medicated, would he have produced his famous paintings? Hmm, I'm not so sure. Because I feel most of the modern medication, at least for me it did it, and I know for others too, it squashes your creativity it just makes you want to do nothing but consume TV, something like that it's not a good life in my books i'd rather go struggle sometimes but still be happy of course you can nowadays there's lots of methods with supplements and other strategies to taper most of the time not all the time there's really serious mental illnesses that need medication no question about it. I'm not against medication generally. But for depression, I don't think it's necessary. And it's interesting, I was on a conference with David Burns. Dr. David Burns is a psychiatrist for over 35 years, wrote his famous book, uh, Feeling uh, Good. He wrote now another one, Feeling Great. So I was in a conference with him because I'm team certified with him. And he said, I've been a psychiatrist for 35 years. I've uh, not prescribed antidepressants for over thirty years. I do not think they are necessary.
0: Wow! Uh-huh. And that's coming from him. <laughs>
1: uh uh-huh. I think that was that was an important thing for me to hear.
0: Did he give mention as to why, or is it just sort of this general? There's a better way.
1: There's a better way, and we now have meta analysis that are actually published that antidepressants do not improve quality of life. That's, That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. They do not. And if you give antipsychotics to augmented, you're making things worse if somebody is uh, depressed. And I've seen that over and over that doctors prescribe both at the same time. I think that's not necessary. And if I see that done to children, I'm really getting upset.
0: Right, because at the end of the day, their brains are still developing and they're not just, you know, cognitively, but uh, physically as well.
1: Yeah, I've just read a study that... uh, Antipsychotics have the largest growing market in the toddler to preteen market, which is ridiculous. I think it's child abuse. The parents should be educated how to parent kids, not how to medicate them. There's very few kids that actually need those drugs. Very, very few of them. It's devastating.
0: Yes, I I agree 100% with what you're saying. I just want to emphasize, I guess, that there's um, there's no shame if you are on the medication and you have a strong desire to have a better quality of life without them. I just want to emphasize what you were saying, Christine, that when you get to that point where you feel n- not well, I guess would be the the better phrase of a, to the point where you feel well enough to begin to taper that off. Is there a, a, like a series of steps? Or is there something that they can do that they feel, okay, I I feel good enough that I can begin to slowly taper off my medication since we're on this subject?
1: I think one of the best books written about that subject is by Peter Reagan. He's a psychiatrist. It's called Psychiatric Medication Withdrawal. And he explains all the problems with it and all the ways. He actually has strategies how to safely withdraw. And I recommend if you're planning to do it, never do it without support from somebody that's knowledgeable about the subject. Don't try to go it alone. Because sometimes it can be dangerous. And sometimes the wrong people try to withdraw at the wrong time. And then it goes backwards.
0: And, yes, I'm you so you from medication,
1: and I do not want to dissuade anybody to take medication. If you think you benefit from taking them and your doctor agrees, take them. And please don't suddenly stop them. It's so important.
0: Yes, I agree. I agree with you when you said that if you're on medication and you feel like it's working please keep taking it and
1: i've talked to people that said oh i love my antidepressant it helped me a lot i feel well with it and i say wonderful keep taking it this drug was made for you and i'm happy for that. but of course as a mental health coach i see mostly the failures not successes but there's both So whatever is your situation, if it's good, keep the good things going. If not, seek alternatives. There are lots.
0: As we wrap up, Christine, how are some of the ways that you feel loved?
1: I feel loved every day. I feel loved, of course, by myself. Hey, I love myself. I have a husband that loves me and I feel loved by him. I even mostly feel loved by my dog. He <laughs> can be anxious, aggressive, and nasty. He actually is a biter sometimes. But sometimes he's so sweet and wags his tails. I, I feel loved. By him. And I feel loved by my friends and family and clients. I feel loved by the universe, God, spirit. That are all around us. You just have to look at the bright night sky. It's the starry skies and the stars that sparkle in different intensities, just like people sparkle in different intensities. It's beautiful and shows you. There's something out there, somebody, God that loves you.
0: So I feel loved every day.
1: I feel loved by you right now.
0: Thank you. Oh, thank you and yes I was going to say I, I adore you as well <laughs> and you know what it's
1: not just that I feel love but I also feel love towards anybody that I just mentioned
0: well thank you for sharing how can people connect with you because I know they're going to want to
1: thank you Kirstie you're sweetheart the easiest way is to go to my website, which is uh, www.docchristine.com, e-o-c-c-h-r-i-s-t-i-n-e.com. Or you can Google my name, Dr. Christine Sauer. I come up anywhere, probably, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Google hasn't banned me yet. <laughs> and uh, I'll be happy to talk to anybody and I'll free call, So just go click on the red button on my header and uh, you see what I do and if you like it.
0: That's fantastic and we will be sure to include that in the show notes. Well, Christine, thank you. This has just been a delightful conversation and just thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with me and anyone that's going to be listening. Thank you so much, Crystal. All the best for you and everybody feel loved and loved. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this episode of the You Are Loved podcast. For more information about suicide prevention, be sure to check out owlandthistle.com. That's owl as in the bird. Hoo And if you're coping with the loss of a loved one due to suicide, we've been there too. And for more information, check out our sister company found at scatteringhope.com please like and subscribe to this program to stay current with all of our episodes and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Owl and Thistle for Scattering Hope. As always, remember, you are loved.